Welcome to the weekly podcast from Spring of Life Church, located in the heart of downtown Portland. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. For more information, visit us at springoflifepdx.com. invite you to join me in opening them to the book of John chapter 5 as we continue this beautiful series called Shocking Jesus. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got some on the way in, and those are your to keep if you would like to take one with you. But we've also got the scriptures on the screens for you to follow along today because we believe it's the word of God that really changes lives. I'm so pumped to be in this series, and today we are studying a very interesting character as we look at Jesus and the mystic in John chapter 5. And we'll get into that in just a moment. So I'm really excited. A couple of years ago, I got to do some summer traveling, and some of you guys have been doing some traveling this summer, and some of you, you're visiting Portland, and that's why you're attending church with us. We're happy to have you. Um, But I got to go to, one summer I went to India, which was incredible. People ask me all the time, did you eat the food while you were there? And I said, yes, I ate the food, and the food ate me back. Uh, It was awesome. I lost 20 pounds in one month. It was scary when I got off the plane and my mom burst into tears. Um, The next year I went to Thailand, which was amazing. I gained lots of weight in Thailand. The food was so good. I could get a small bowl of garlic chicken with rice for 50 cents right on the street corner outside my little apartment. It was heaven. It was heaven. Um, But um, one thing I never really got in Thailand, so the difference in India is there's so many languages in India that a lot of the people learn English in order to communicate. And I got really spoiled. And in Thailand, the people speak Thai, and I didn't. And I really, really tried, but it was very difficult. I um, didn't realize how tonal of a language Thai was. And so I really couldn't even say the name of my own road. Like, I would go to work, I was writing public relations pieces for an English-speaking newspaper for a TV station. Cool job, not so cool if you can't even figure out how to get to work. So um, I would go to the little tuk-tuk driver and... um, well, to go home, I would say, I need to go to Bam Rong Rat. And they would just look at me like, what? I was like, Bam Rong Rat? And they just shake their head. And I would pull out a piece of paper, and they would look at it, and they would say, oh, Bam Rong Rat. You're, you're, just look at me like, you're such an idiot. Like, you said it totally wrong. So I still to this day don't think I say it correctly, Um, but it was a a little bit confusing, but we we passed through all of that. But one of the coolest things that I got to experience when I was there um, is just uh, another way to look at life. And I met a lot of people there who were Buddhist, lots and lots of Buddhists in Thailand, and, and a lot of Hindus in Thailand, and of course a lot of Hindus in India. And so for the first time, I was really immersed in a culture that really had a feel for the mystical. There's just a lot of mystical things in general in that culture, where we're a very logic-based culture. Things are pretty black and white and systematic here. That's why religion, the idea of rules and systems, is so attractive in the West, because um, that's just sort of how our culture is built. But in these two countries, I just noticed tons and tons of mysticism. Like, you could just go out and buy, like, flower garlands, And you could lay those flower garlands on one of the many statues around town to show honor and reverence to these just these mystical, you know, spirits and and things like that. So uh, today we're going to meet a mystic in scripture. I think it's really interesting um, to say what would it look like for Jesus to encounter a person like this. And to be honest with you, even though we are a logic-based, fact-driven culture, there's tons of mysticism in our own world. 
Um, we did some surveys downtown Portland this summer, which many of you got to take part in one of them. We talked to 3,500 people, and one of the questions we asked them is, what do you think happens to us after we die? And we found that 12% of the folks that we talked to believe in reincarnation, and really those numbers are way higher if you look at the variety of answers. So a lot of people here have a lot of those mystical influences. It's, you don't have to go very far around here to find palm readers, lots of incense, even a really exciting drum circle, if that is what you fancy. You don't have to go very far in Portland to find a mystical experience. But today I think it's really interesting to see what areas of our life that we can be mystical and not even realize it, and what Jesus himself would have to say about that. So let's just remember in our story, some incredible things have happened. In John chapter 1, we have seen that Jesus, this most interesting person in history, makes a shocking claim about himself. Jesus never, ever claimed to merely be good. Jesus always claimed to be God. And that in itself is the greatest world changer, the game changer the world has ever known. So here we have this deity, this man, this person claiming to be God himself. And if he's lying, he's dangerous. But if he's telling the truth, it changes everything for you and me. And so we see him kind of progressing into society. He does his first miracle by turning water into wine, and he's bursting onto the scene. In John chapter 3, we see that Jesus meets a rabbi, a really prestigious man. And Jesus says, if you want to have the kingdom of God, the greatest thing that can possibly be attained, then you've got to be born again. And he sort of walked through what that looked like. In John chapter 4, we heard this incredible story about how Jesus meets a woman at the well. And there's a beautiful moment where Jesus meets her exactly where she is. And he's never shocked by her past, but he's always honest about where she is. And in doing so, reveals that he is the greatest source of living water. So Jesus is making kind of like two different relationships at this time. There's this group of people that are so compelled. They're so interested in what they're seeing. They're so excited to see more. And there is this cultural kind of feeling in the air. It's electric. When you, it's sort of like when the Beatles first came to America. People just could not get enough. They just wanted to know what was going on. And that's sort of what was beginning to happen. And there was a second group of people. They were the people who got power from religion. They were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, and they didn't like Jesus at all. And he was constantly ticking them off. And Jesus wasn't neutral in this. In fact, he walked into their place and just started flipping tables over, saying like, this is not what we're going to do anymore. So if you really want to make a good impression on someone, walk into their house and start knocking over their furniture. That's what Jesus did. And in John chapter 5, we see that Jesus is going to do possibly his most audacious action yet. And I love it. So without any further ado, let's turn to the scriptures. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And we've talked before that Jerusalem was like the most holy place for a Jewish person. It was a place to give such high honor, such high respect. It was the epicenter for cultural life and for spiritual life. So Jesus is walking right into the heart of the situation. Verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And these a multitude of invalids blind, lame, and paralyzed. And there was one man who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? 
The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps in before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. We have a lot more reading to do in this passage today because it's such a dense passage. I love this passage of scripture. In fact, I hope everyone goes home today and reads the entirety of John 5. We're going to read some more scriptures in just a moment. So if you've got your Bible, keep it open. We're just going to stay in here a bit. But I want to pray for us and ask that God would illuminate this text because I really, really believe there's people in this room, including the one with a microphone, who need to hear some truths from this to have their lives changed. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you and thank you. I thank you for this city. I thank you for these people. I thank you for this word. I thank you for this life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we see some audacious things happening already. I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, The paralytic man is sort of sitting in a group of people who need healing. In fact, I was just talking to a friend today about sort of like what it's like to even walk to church here, especially if you're coming up 3rd Avenue. There's just a lot of people who are sitting out on 3rd Avenue who need help who need healing, whether it be emotional or physical or financial. And so sometimes there's areas in the city where those who need healing gather together, and they do that for a lot of reasons. They do it because it's a place where people can help them, and they also do it because they find company in each other's presence. And so being in a city like this, it's not hard for us to imagine what the edge of the pool of Bethesda would look like. We'll talk in just a moment about that particular place. But I just don't think I can go any further without pointing out something incredible in this text. Like, the story is really long. It's a lot of verses. Like, the real drama of the story hasn't even happened yet. Because when Jesus is ready and able to heal heal someone, he's always able. But it happens in an instant. Like, the power of Jesus in this moment is so funny. It's just, like, no big deal. It's like, that's what Jesus does. When Jesus shows up, he changes things. And if you've ever had a version of Christianity where Jesus isn't changing things in you, if he's not changing things through you, then that's not the kind of thing that Jesus is showing here. The word of God says that his kingdom is not a kingdom of talk, but of power. And here we see the power of God in full display. But there's a question that we're going to start with at the top of the message and finish with. There's a question that Jesus asks that changes everything, right? He said, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Do you know that the paralytic man didn't say yes or no? He gave a different response. Isn't that interesting that Jesus is indicating here that the paralytic man had to participate in his own healing? Don't get me wrong, he didn't heal himself. In fact, he uh, didn't even get in the pool, which is the thing he thought would do the trick. But he did have to say yes. He did have to say yes. Why don't we all say yes? You know, there's things that are in our lives that need healing. In fact, when people turn inward, they often, they find things, things from the past, things that they're dealing with. Why don't we just all say yes to the healing that we so desperately need and want in our life, whether it be an emotional pain or something... um, something that we're dealing with right now. I think there's three key reasons that people don't say yes right away. I think that people get really nervous of the process. I'm afraid of what might happen if I say yes. I'm afraid of what that would look like in my life. Um, A couple of months ago, I had a really, really sore tooth. And my wife was like, you need to go to the dentist. And I'm like, nah. 
She's like, you've got to go get that looked at. I'm like, mm, I'm good. I'll just eat on the other side of my mouth for a while. Why? It's not because I love the pain. I was just so afraid of what that process was going to look like for me to go to the dentist. I ended up getting a root canal, and I'm telling you, is one of the best experiences of my life because turns out I love laughing gas. Um, <laughs> True story, while I was high on the laughing gas, I started texting people and said, hey, why don't you come out and intern in Portland this summer? People I really haven't heard from in a long time, like six of them said yes. So it didn't just heal uh, my tooth. It, it just provided tons of opportunity for people to come this summer. So who knows what'll happen if I get another sore tooth. This church is just gonna grow like crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, sometimes we get so nervous of the process. And I know tons of people who need to see change in their life, but they don't want to deal with it because they're so afraid of what that process looks like. I think there's a second reason that people don't immediately say yes to healing. I think that people become to identify with their pain. They don't know who they are without it. They don't know who they are without it. I've talked to a lot of people who live in really nice houses who have really great jobs and make a lot of money, but they're stuck in areas of their life. And I just asked them, like, why not just give that thing up? And they're like, I want to. I just don't know who I would be without it. I talk to people who um, are living outdoors, who don't have a place to live. And there's so many people who want to get out of that situation, and they're working so hard. And that's some people in this room today. And we're so grateful you're here. We're so grateful to share this life with you. And we're all together. We're all the same together. But I've definitely met people. I, there's a guy in Gainesville I met, and I was like, I can take you to a place right now. You know, I, I, there was a great con, uh, ministry that we were connected to. And he just said, like, basically, that sounds great, but I've just kind of learned to make this work. This is who I am. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think that there's areas of our life that some of us don't want to be changed, even though we know that life might be better if it were changed. And I think that there's just a difference sometimes between the understanding of what a wound is versus what a scar is. A scar is a healed wound. A scar is evidence of something that has been healed. And I think that we identify with Christ when we do. It gives us the confidence to walk forward in the healing process. But I think that there's a third reason that we don't immediately say yes to Jesus when he offers healing, right? He offers the world the same the same offer to be born again, to have your life changed from the inside out, to no longer be on the road to destruction, to be on the road towards life and to begin to experience that life abundantly right now. I mean, the offer is stunning. The world says work. Jesus says come. The world says give and strive. And Jesus says receive. Like why doesn't everybody just say yes to that? I think there's a third reason, was just, just a false belief system. Placing your trust in the wrong thing. And that's where we're going to spend more time today. Because I think even people who call themselves Christians, that we can get into this cycle as well. I think I do. And so I think the beautiful thing about the word is it meets us all where we're at. But what if you have a, a huge sickness and you trust the wrong thing? It's not going to work. My mom has gotten super into the essential oils craze. And some of you love them. And some of you just 
feels slippery because you just have oils all over you. I used to joke that whenever I drop my daughter off, I pick her up from my mom's house. I couldn't even pick her up. She just slide out of my hands. She had like every oil imaginable on her. And I will say I was the biggest critic of those oils until I got that tooth pain. And my sister-in-law does the oils too. And she gives me this one. She's like, put this on there. I'm like, no, that is so dumb. There was one night I couldn't breathe because my tooth hurt so bad. I was literally just like my hands on my knees, just trying to stay upright because laying down hurt too bad. I went to the dentist the next day. Um, But I took those oils and I put them on my tooth instantly better. But the reason there's so much skepticism around things like that is because people promote healing for their own selfish gain, for their own selfish profit, and they don't work. And so we kind of become skeptical. And that's where Jesus was entering, right in between two belief systems that people gained from but didn't offer much in return. And we're going to look at those. The first one is mysticism. So the pool of Bethesda. Let me tell you why the guy was there. The name Bethesda in Aramaic means house of outpouring. So it's this place where you go to get, right? Um, that's so interesting because just in Jesus, Jesus in John chapter 4 had just said that he himself is the place of outpouring, that he is the spring of life. And the beautiful promise of Jesus is that when you come to him, you don't just get something that is good, you get God. You get God himself. That is so beautiful. But there's also a verse that was omitted from the text that we just read. Isn't that tricky when a preacher weaves out a verse? It's because we read out of the ESV translation, the English Standard Version. And I love that translation. I love to talk about textual criticism, which is sort of like how the Bible came to be and why the Bible is what it is. But if you were to read this passage in the New King James Version, you would have seen another verse. John chapter 5, verse 4, which says this. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. That doesn't sound very biblical, right? Like, um, come to Jesus or go to a special pool where an angel comes down and mixes up the water. And then if you're number one in line, then you're going to be better from whatever thing that you needed healing from. So let's just take just a second to talk about why this isn't in the English Standard Version or some other scriptures. So the English Standard Version, to the best of its ability, goes back to the best and earliest Greek transcripts of the Bible and bases its translation off of that. Whereas the King James and the New King James, they're based off of a, of a, a manuscript called the Latin Vulgate, which is essentially a translation of a translation. Now, when we're out in Portland, which is a very skeptical city... People ask the question all the time, how do you know you can trust the Bible? Can it just like people just change things? Like it's been passed down over time. I'm sure things have been diluted. I'm sure things that have gotten mixed up, which is a valid criticism if only it were true. But there's no other historical document in all of antiquity like the Bible. And this verse really proves how careful people are when they are handling the word of God and the great lengths they will go to to get the earliest and best translations. In fact, when you put the Bible beside other historical manuscripts, there's absolutely nothing like it. No historical text, no secular text, no religious text. There's nothing like the Bible. Another message for another day just want to put that bookmark in there so there's another reason i believe that um the guy was there it's it's because he thought that this place 
was not just a gathering place. It was like a mystical, a mystical place that could take care of him. Now, where did this belief come from? I mean, really, there's a lot of places in history where we see uh, waters being known for their healing properties, right? So the waters and baths of Saratoga um, are found to be highly medicinal and to heal diseases that are otherwise incurable. And in the case of waters at Bethesda, there does seem to be a historical precedent that people went here. And, and if you've ever known a person who's like, yeah, I went there and I got better. The next thing you know, tons of people are going to flock there. And this place is going to have a reputation for being healing, even if only one person got better from one thing. But there was a huge legend around this place that said if you get into the water, you're going to get better. And in fact, let's just be honest, there might have even been a case to make here for mysticism unless Jesus showed up. And when you contrast Jesus with a mystical belief... Jesus wins every time. Mysticism is appealing. You know why? Because it acknowledges that there is a power in the world beyond what we can see. I just read a quote from a friend this week, and he was doing some study um, from some like astrophysics. And he said the astrophysicists, they're constantly finding that the world is bigger than we can imagine. And they said we are constantly finding questions that we can't answer. That the world itself, even in the sciences, is always pointing back, I believe, to God. To a creator, to this power source that is so much bigger than what we can even comprehend. And so mysticism, you know, other than secularism, at least acknowledges that that power exists. But it's a soft acknowledgement of that power. It's acknowledging the power without surrendering oneself to the power. It's sort of developing a soft system that says, I will acknowledge and come close to the power as long as it stays in its place. Like reincarnation is sort of this belief that I'm going to try to do the best I can. Acknowledging the power like thumbs up, universe, God, spirits, whatever. I'm going to kind of do my best and hopefully everything will be okay. It's a very impersonal, soft approach to power. It's arm's length adoration. But there's another world system that we see here, and it's not just mysticism, it's religion. And that's where the text gets really interesting. Because there were some Jewish people around as well, right? So Jesus heals the man, instantly he's better. Just imagine if I walked down 3rd Avenue right now and there was a person in a wheelchair and they look like they're in rough shape. I went to Office Depot the other day, right on 6th Avenue, and there was a guy in a wheelchair and I just stopped to like check on him to make sure he was all right. He was sleeping. And if I had the power to heal him in that moment, you better believe I would. And so it would just be like seeing a scene, tons of people around, and there's this guy and probably people knew him. Like, oh yeah, that's Bill. You know, Bill's over there all the time. We all feel bad for Bill. We all wish we could help Bill, but Bill, man, he's in rough shape. And Jesus just walks over to this guy, and he's like, you're healed. And like a lifetime of being paralyzed is instantly swept away. It was a dramatic moment. People would be going crazy, and people did go crazy just for a weird reason. These Jewish people, these religious people who are supposed to care for, for folks, who are supposed to take care of the poor, who are supposed to reach out to the folks that need healing. These Jewish people, they are ticked off. Let's take a look. In verse 9, and immediately the man was made well. Whew, what a verse. Immediately the man was made well, took his bed and walked 
And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. So there was this teaching in Jewish culture that says there's a day of the week that you rest, you give honor to God and you experience God. And rather than rejoicing in the miracle, they're like, hey, 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 I know you haven't walked in decades, but like, why, why are you breaking the rules? That's just dumb. But it goes further. The man answers him, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And by the way, Jesus is the one that gave the Sabbath in the first place. Verse 12, then they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Like the crowd's going wild. They're like, what? Did you see that guy? Did you see that paralyzed, paralyzed guy get up and start walking around? And so rather than like rejoicing and giving glory to God, the Jews are like, no, 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 no. We're religious people, and we got to shut this party down. Religious people love to shut down parties. <laughs> and so the Jews find out that Jesus healed the man, and they find Jesus. And they should have gone to him to be like, hey, you know what? Isaiah said 700 years ago that a Messiah is going to come, and we have been waiting and longing for him. And he's going to usher in the kingdom of God, and he is going to give sight to the blind and food to the hungry. He's going to bring the kingdom of God. Like, are you him? That's what they should have done. But they did it. Take a look. In verse 16. For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. Whoops. Why? Because if he's real, he's going to threaten things. He's going to threaten the status quo. He's going to turn the world upside down. He's going to set people free. And guess what? The system that they profited on might not be so profitable anymore. Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. And therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because not only did he break the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Verse 19, then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Jesus is saying this is such a good thing. There is this love connection like God has always loved you God has always pursued you no matter where you've been no matter where you've come from God knows what he's getting and he's come for you he loves you and not only am I going to do these things there's going to be even greater things not so you can be ticked off so you can marvel for as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And so you have some gorgeous salvation theology happening here. People ask me all the time, why Jesus? Why can he make these audacious claims? Because Jesus said the problem in your life isn't a lack of spirituality. The problem in your life is not a lack of religion. The problem in your life is the presence of evil. 
And evil always wants more. Evil breaks things. Evil destroys things. And evil holds you accountable. And God has built a kingdom that is free from all evil. Evil is like a disease. It's like cancer. It's always growing. And if you get just a little bit in, it will spread. And God is building a kingdom free from evil. Free from its effects. Free from its heartbreak. Free from its death. Free from its disease. And here's the beauty. I'm the door. And the reason I make that claim is I'm the only one. The only one without evil. And if I lay down my life and I pay the penalty for your evil, then you can walk through this door and forever be changed and forever live with God. This is gorgeous, gorgeous theology. And then one of my favorite verses, like that has been changing me this week as I've meditated on it. Verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me shall have everlasting life. And not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Jesus says, do you think that guy getting up off the street is the miracle? Here's the miracle. Here's the miracle. You ready? People aren't just bad, they're dead. And I didn't just come to make bad people better. I came to raise dead people to life. Whew. That's why we exist as a church. Not because there's bad people who need to feel ashamed and try to be a little bit better, but because it's a city filled with people who have the opportunity to know real life. That's who Jesus is, and that's who we want to be. And so if mysticism is that soft approach to power, like I just kind of want to be around it, but I don't want to give into it. I want to acknowledge it. I like kind of want to put good vibes out into the universe and hope they come back to me. I kind of want to smile and thumbs up this whole spirituality thing. Just wasn't powerful enough. Religion is that attempt to harness power. It acknowledges power, but it says, I'm going to bottle it up and I'm going to make it my own. I'm going to harness this power and put a system around it. I'm going to tell God where he can go and tell him how to move. Literally, the Jews were telling Jesus what to do. That's so crazy. They were supposed to be his promised people. And they're like, we're going to harness this up and we're going to wield this power. So mysticism and religion, Jesus centers himself right in the middle and says, that one doesn't work because it was never meant to. And that one doesn't work and it was never going to. So what works? Jesus. And that is the personal approach to the person of power. And that's where we are today. Mysticism kind of acknowledged him. Religion tries to control him. But real faith looks Jesus right in the eye and listens to what he says. Whew. And what does he say? Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me. Three of the most incredible words in the world. Not if they're spoken by me, but if they're spoken by God himself. How can we imagine God himself says you have issues. God himself says you're broken. And here's the solution. Come to me. What? Isn't that so interesting that from the Garden of Eden, we see that when we've needed God the most is when we run from him the hardest. Adam and Eve had just sinned. They messed up. They had broken relationship. And what do they do? They ran away. And guess what we do when we mess up? When we feel like we're on the wrong side of things, 
When we feel like we're struggling, when we feel like we need healing, when we feel like we're broken, what do we do? We run from him. And you know what he says? Bring me your brokenness. Bring me your hurt. Bring me your situation. Bring me your exhaustion. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know what I found? I found that even when people are believers in Jesus, sometimes they still get mystical with Jesus. I've seen believers do this. I've seen believers like acknowledge him. Yes, I've given my life to him. Yes, but when it comes to this situation, I'm kind of going to be mystical about it. I'm going to try to fix this before I come to him. And and sort of like in this like indirect way, like I'm just going to try a little bit better. Like if I come to church, maybe things will get a little bit better, but like I'm not going to fully engage. Or, you know, maybe if I, um, you know, like I I do something nice in general, hopefully he'll notice. And, And once I feel like I've done that enough, Like, I'm kind of back on his good side. It's like this mystical approach to Jesus. Do you know that people even get religious with Jesus? There's a lot of people who get religious with Jesus. And they say, you know what? I got to read my Bible four more times before he'll really take me seriously. I probably, you know, I got to get rid of this sin. I got to quit doing this sin or else he's never going to hear me again. And we run from him the moments when we need him the most. What's my advice today? Get personal with Jesus. Get personal with Jesus. And here's what we see. It's so simple, but so powerful. Mysticism's not the answer. Religion's not the answer. Intimacy is the answer. Intimacy is the answer. So I'm going to ask Cody to come up, and we're going to have a moment of reflection. That's what real church is. That's what real relationships are. It's finding ways to get intimate with Jesus, personal and connected, So this summer was a really busy summer. We had like eight mission teams. We have one coming in tomorrow and it's been awesome, but exhausting. And this year we had a lot more help. So last year we did the same thing. We just didn't have anybody on our team to work with us. So we were just exhausted. And like the third week into the summer of a four week program, my wife and I, I mean, we just hadn't like hardly looked at each other and our relationship was so strained. Like we weren't having huge fights or anything. It just sort of seemed like we were roommates and co-parents and co-workers, but not really husband and wife. So we sort of like made it through those last two weeks And it was just amazing that we had the opportunity to get away on an anniversary trip. So we just experienced our nine-year anniversary on August the 1st. We just had that. So I can't believe she's had me for that long. Tough lady. She's a tough lady. And I just remember we got to uh, go for a little getaway, and we got on the plane last summer. And um, I just remember we turned to each other for the first time and just looked at each other. And how just that experience of turning and looking at each other began to melt away so much of the tension. And in just an hour, just an hour, really being in each other's presence intentionally, things were reset. And they weren't just reset. They were better. They were better. And I think that that is the answer in real, like in personal, interpersonal relationships, but in a real relationship with God. What does it look like to say, Jesus... I don't want to work hard for you. I can't even, I can't impress you. I never will. You invented DNA. I had to learn how to talk, you know. Um, I'll never impress you. He's like, yeah, it's not the point. But Jesus, I just want to come close. I want to look you in the eye. What sort of healing do you need in your life today? 
Maybe it is a financial situation and you're stressed out and you're so burdened. What does it look like just to come to him? Maybe it's a personal relationship, marriage or dating or some other kind of friendship or a family member. And you're just like overburdened, you're overwhelmed. And like today, that's the thing. You're like, yeah, if I could be healed from one thing, if I could be healed from one thing, that would be the thing. Maybe it is a health situation. Maybe it's your view of God. Maybe it's baggage from the past. Maybe it's a personal maturity issue. Or maybe it's just pain. Maybe it's just pain. There's three reasons that we don't always say yes to healing. First, we're nervous of the process. What takes care of that? Trust. Trust. Not trusting me or this church or these people. It's trusting the heart of God, that he is good. The second reason we don't always say yes is because of our identity, not knowing who will be on the other side. Here's the truth of the matter. You were made to be whole. This world is filled with brokenness, but you weren't made to be broken. You were made to be whole. That's his plan. And if you see your identity in Jesus, you begin the journey to wholeness. And the third reason is just that belief. Mysticism won't do it. The thumbs up approach to try to do enough good to get some good back. The harnessing the power and holding yourself to a strict list. I won't do it. Intimacy. It all begins there. What does it look like for you today to look Jesus in the eye and hear what he says and say yes? Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Spring of Life Church, where our mission is to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. For more information or to plan a visit to our church in Portland, visit us at springoflifepdx.com.